welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. Uh, today we got one that is a as a gem for me for sure. Um, we got Eddie Shaw, who is uh, a member of a band called the Monks, who were um, you know in the mid '60s. They were all American GIs over in Germany, um, and they started playing in these bar bands together and um, under the name the Torques. Um, and then you know. They got the opportunity to stay in Germany after they were done with their service and record for this label called Polydor, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Who were that, uh, you know, so they, the, the label actually pushed for this idea for them to all change their name. I'm not sure if they came up with the idea to call it the Monks or if the band did, but the label pushed for them to, to dress in full monk garb and, uh, cut what's called a cincture into your hair which is like a, a the, basically looks like a donut hole pulled out of the very top of your hair um you know like a classic monk look um which is you know obviously makes them a a band that like aesthetically is striking from the jump because it's very bizarre looking mm -hmm. but musically i mean they could look as straight laced as they wanted to and the music was just wild i mean it was it was you know punk before punk really hit for sure i mean it's a few yeah. it's like three years before the first stooges record um and it may not be you know it's it's probably got a little bit more of a nod to um you know like a 50s and 60s sound than uh than the stooges do so maybe that's why they don't get you know lumped into the proto-punk conversation as much but uh man it's just wild um you know so they they toured around Germany a ton around then. They put out one record called Black Monk Time. Uh, and then, as far as I know, they uh, they had this tour booked in Vietnam. Uh, they could never get their their records pressed in America because it had all these, you know, anti-Vietnam War and uh, just real, um, you know, just edgy lyrics for the time um, and sort of like uh, anti-establishment lyrics and to a certain extent, I guess. Um, but yeah, so they had this this Vietnam tour booked, and shortly before that happened, the band kind of fell apart. Um, they all came back to the States and just sort of went about their lives. And then in the 90s, this sort of uh, renaissance happened where you know, somebody knocked on Eddie's door and said, are you Eddie from the Monks? And he figured out that you know, not only were there a lot of people who were really inspired and uh, you know, interested in the Monks, that you know, those records that they put out that Black Monk Time record, I mean, copies of it were selling for over a thousand dollars, you know, on online, and, and, and in his mind, you know, nobody really knew who they were, um, mm -hmm. which is just wild. So I mean, after that, they did, they got back together, um, and you know, we're playing, you know, thousand-person rooms all over the world, really, um, for a good while there, and uh, since then. I think three of the members have passed. Um, so the members that are left are Eddie, who played bass and trumpet and sang a little bit in the band, um, and a musician by the name of Larry Clark, Larry Clark, um, who is just this ridiculous keyboard player. It's one of my favorite parts about the band. He was bringing in these like brash, uh, noisy, um, dissonant keyboard parts and you know he could also just rip like some of it it was less of that noisy stuff and just him like really uh, just absolutely ripping yeah, like a, on the keys a doors kind and, of feel yeah like a Ray Manzarek kind of vibe or something um, but yeah they're just they're awesome man so and 
you know, they're kind of this, there's just a ton of mystique around this band because they've got the one record. They never tried to put out another one, you know, during the, that renaissance. You know, that's one thing that I really like about them is that, uh, <clears throat> and I think Eddie, Eddie says it in the interview where he basically says, yeah, they asked us if we want to make another record, but we decided to kind of preserve what the monks were for, for the historical context. Right. Um, I mean, it, really it, cool. it's, you know, it's crazy. You, they, they played a lot of German television shows back when they were, um, back when they were hitting it, like Beat Club and, and you know, I think a few others. Um, but, so you watch those videos and it is just wild. You can tell the crowd is like not what sure to what, to, what to think. They're trying to dance to it. It's really beat oriented music. So, I mean, there is, you know, a groove, but it's not exactly typical like dance groove um, yeah. so it's i mean but they were playing these like huge rooms full of kids who were trying to process what the hell they were watching um and then you know it's just it's kind of got a vibe of uh fear on saturday not saturday night live oh yeah yeah where the, <laughs> where the crowd's just like not sure what to think um and you know i mean you know they're like equal parts kind of performance art and you know their brand of rock and roll like it's uh you know i think somebody in rolling stone or spin or somebody said uh you know the band's one album is like a is a really interesting take on the story of rock and roll as a whole like how it kind of like i think they mean more so musically because it's you know it touches on some familiar uh like 50s 60s rock and roll um musical phrasing and stuff but in this real off-kilter bizarre way and then it's you know i mean they have lyrics like my hate for you is everlasting like who who else was saying that in 66 and that's i mean that's a year before the first beef heart record came out i mean it's it was they were getting pretty weird before it was quite that popular to 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 let your freak flag fly to that extent um but yeah and um you know eddie was kind enough to to send us a copy of a book he wrote about his experience in the band called Black Monk Time, which he put out through his own uh, publishing company called Carson Street. Um, and you can find the, that book online. There, there's a website, um, gosh, I think it's carsonstreetpublishing.com, but just Google Carson Street Publishing, it'll come up. Um, it's available elsewhere too, Amazon and all that, but I'm sure that it's a little more beneficial to order it straight from them. Um, but yeah, Eddie was kind enough to send us a a copy of it which was really sweet of them um it was great chatting with them uh, we're gonna probably try to incorporate a little bit of the the monks music into this episode so you guys who anyone who might not already know can hear it um we're gonna post some links to to these wild wild videos of them uh online as well so check it out um and if you if you got the time get the book and the uh, album black monk time it, it's well worth experiencing it sure is. Well, cool. Well, we're going to jump to it, guys. Um, this is our interview with Eddie Shaw of The Monks. Thanks, guys. But I kind of wanted to pick your brain a bit about what your musical history prior to joining the monks was like prior to maybe even prior to joining the service 
Well, I started when I was 15 in the Carson City Nugget playing trumpet in a Dixieland group. And uh, I was on the backstage. Wayne Newton was on the front stage. He was 12. I was 15. And uh, he made it, and I didn't. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a crazy story, man. Um, but, then I, but then I played drums. And then when I, I went in the Army and I was signed up for the 6th Army Band, I was supposed to go into, I was supposed to be stationed in San Francisco, which was too close to home. And I didn't like that. I said, can I just go someplace besides just being here if i got to be in the Army? He says, yeah, no problem. And they sent me to Germany in an artillery outfit. But I played, I played drums. And uh, so I uh, played drums before... Uh, the officers club and that kind of stuff doing uh, Jimmy uh, Dave, David Brubeck type of music jazz and then uh, then I saw these guys playing in the service club Gary and Dave and they were just jamming three chord you know, Chuck Berry songs and I thought God I can play that uh, so I went and bought a bass and practiced it for a couple of days and went down and talked to them and said, you guys need a bass? They said, sure, and I joined them. And then from there, we uh, we played at uh, downtown in Geldhausen for the weekend fight, as we called them, where, the, where we would play, the GIs would come in and we'd play every Saturday and... Uh, and then they would get in fights, and then the MPs would come in and throw tear gas, and then we'd all stand outside waiting for the gas to clear so we could pick up our instruments and leave. And uh, and from there, uh, we an agent from Frankfurt called us or came to see us and said he could get his jobs on the he could get his jobs if we wanted to stay in Germany when we got out. And we said, okay, we all agreed on it. I got out first. I waited. I got out six months before everybody else. So I got out and worked in a, in a rubber factory for about three or four months. And then they got out, and we went on the road playing wow. as a turkey. So how long after that was it when you, you, when you switched to being the monks and started working on Black Monk Time? Well, we were we we worked a year and a half as the Torquays. We worked in a year. We had three days off. Uh, that was how much work there was. Wow! And and we played uh, in many of the clubs. We played uh, six hours a night and seven on Sundays with a matinee. So, in a year and a half, we had three days off. Uh, and uh, basically, we playing that much tightened up our uh, got us tight, you know, where we where we could play just automatically without even thinking about it. But then we also got to experiment with the audiences and see what worked and what didn't. And you notice that when you're playing, and the audience is talking to each other, and you're bored because you're up there seven nights a week, you uh, start messing with their heads and seeing what gets their attention and we, we started doing that kind of stuff well that, that's awesome man uh 
and I'm glad that you guys were afforded that opportunity to, you know, to play so much that you were able to kind of dig into experimentation. Um, I mean, that, that's such a, that's one of the most striking parts about the sound of the monks is that, uh, you know, uh, both whether it be the guitar being uh, kind of embracing feedback and some noisier elements or the bass having that real thick uh, fuzzy tone. Um, just a lot of things that, uh, at least from my personal, uh, the music from the 60s that I've digested, which is a lot of it, um, I, I don't feel like I hear a lot of that stuff. So I was kind of curious if there were any particular artists or uh, musicians that you guys were inspired by that kind of led you guys to some of those uh, you know, uh, fuzzier tones and, and more experimental sounds? Well, what, what led us to it was there wasn't anybody, there wasn't a sound we could compare to say we got it from somebody. Oh, absolutely. They, nobody had it. But what we did do is we just, we would uh, do some feedback and make it loud and people would be talking to each other, their dates and whatever. And when they were talking to each other and enjoying themselves and so forth and not paying much attention to the band, we would, we would grab it. We would grab their attention by doing that kind of stuff. And then uh, uh, making them pay attention to us. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I love that, man. I, I love that it's, it was more of the circumstance that led to that musical genesis than, you know, you guys trying to approximate anyone else's sound, which I think is, is huge. That's why, you know, why the, the record resonates with so many people is because it was so uniquely, uh, separate from everything else that was going on at the time. Um, uh, well, yeah, and, and we quit. We quit doing the eight, twelve-bar blues, you know, because right. and and started doing it all on tension, creating tension. That was the idea was to create tension, and we would go thirteen bars, counting. And it, it, the music is actually kind of hard to play because you have to count odd numbers and uh, to to do it right, you know. Oh, absolutely. Well, another and another thing is, I mean, you just everybody in the band clearly has chops, you know. I mean, uh, when I listened to Larry on the keys, he kind of did this beautiful blending of, you know, he would be really riffing, making these really great melodic lines, um, you know, with his lead, but then he would also throw in these awesomely dissonant sounds and kind of create help create some of that uh, brashness and that noise that I think people. Uh, latch on to with you guys sound so it seems like I mean everybody was bringing their a game 110 percent which I'm sure I mean you guys were full-on career musicians so you know you kind of had to go at it that hard to keep a like you said keep everyone's attention and, and keep yourself working um, but that being said I, I kind of am curious what the what the music scene in Germany was like during those years uh, well, in, in, uh, Hamburg, uh, there was, uh, uh, it was, Hamburg was like Dixieland, New Orleans, you know what I mean? 
uh, everybody who was there, uh, uh, like, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the names, uh, 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 you know, there was the Kraut Rock, we, we, we proceeded the Kraut Rock thing, and, uh, but it was, uh, what was the question again? <laughs> I was just kind of curious what, as a whole, what the German, or what the music scene was like in Germany. Like, were, were there other bands that you guys were frequently well, we sharing got, bills with and things? Or was it kind of everybody fend for themselves? Or Well, we, well there was the, the groups, that, there were groups playing there. Hamburg was the stomping grounds for, for all the groups. And um, that was where the... The Beatles played. We played in the same club, the Top Ten Club, where uh, uh, there was the Cream played there, Cliff ben Bennett, and the Rebel Rousers, Earth, who became Black Sabbath, the Pretty Things, the Leverbirds, King Size Taylor, the Dominoes, Jimi Hendrix, uh, members of King Crimson, the Tillman Brothers, which was an interesting group. Uh, yeah, that's that's incredible, man. To to be amongst that company as far as like your peers or and you know playing the same clubs as them. I mean, it's well, I'm the, sure. Yeah, the Everly Brothers were there. Pat Domino was there. Ray Charles was there. Even Brenda Lee. Wow. And and so uh, it was quite a hot place. That's great, man. Um, so I was listening. I uh, to I guess it's I think it's called the Hamburg Sessions, which I think are just a collection of of songs that didn't make it onto a, you know, onto a full-length Monks record. Um, and it seemed like you were able to embrace your your trumpet playing a little more on those tracks, um, you know, because on... I hadn't, I hadn't played trumpet in years, so I was very, very rusty. Oh, but it I mean, sounds it was, so good. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, well, we, the record company wanted us to play some softer stuff. They said... That hard stuff isn't making it, and we, so we've come up with a couple of soft songs, but but it wasn't right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I've read before about how the record label was pushing you guys to make a few softer sounds, and I, I mean, I love the the kind of harder hitting ones because you know when I when I look back at like kind of the history of of like the you know more or less punk music, um, you know, I think of I always thought of like. Iggy and the Stooges is really early, right? Because that's late '60s, and then I'm like, wait, wait, wait. The Monks got got the Stooges beat by a few years. Uh, I mean, you guys had Beefheart, Captain Beefheart beat, you know, as far as when you were, uh, as far as I mean, I think the first Captain Beefheart record is '67. So I mean, Black Monk Time came out a year before that, and it was like, okay, I can kind of see how Beefheart and everybody else was taking those leaps towards a little more adventurous sounds when, you know, some people were already experimenting with that a few years before. Um, that well, being the big labels, the big labels, uh, they always wanted you to, they would send somebody into the, into the studio and talk to you and say, you know, there's this formula you can use. You can use this bar, you can play this tune, and then, but you change because of the copyright laws, you change one note and then you own it, and it's if it's based on a hit, you'll have a hit, you know, that kind of stuff. And that, 
And later on in the 70s, when I got out of the Monks, I ended up in Ham or in Nashville playing there with uh, Capitol Records, but I was playing trumpet then. And uh, I was very familiar with that idea that you play formulas, you know, to, to make things. Right. So I know I know that uh, throughout your career with the monks, you you know you played primarily bass and trumpet, and you mentioned earlier that you you played drums prior to that a good bit. Um, are there any other instruments that you that you feel pretty comfortable with that you may not have as much of a recorded history with? Well, keyboards. I'll I'll play keyboard, uh, but I play it my own way. I guess you can say, right. which is uh, I'm not. I'm not uh, an active. My my fingers don't move all over the keyboard automatically. I have to think about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of the same way. I love to play keyboard as well. That's like one of my, uh, you know, one of the one of the instruments I will actually be, uh, you know, recruited to uh, hired gun for for some friends to help them with their projects. But I definitely find that like my right hand is a lot more versatile than my left, and I'm watching my left hand a lot. Uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I, I feel like I I know the pattern, but I don't know it where I could be blindfolded. You know, sometimes I just got to pay a little more attention to what my fingers are doing. But I do love the instrument as a whole. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask, uh, really, I know that in the '90s, you guys, I guess it was more like the late '90s. There was a kind of like a, a bit of a renaissance for the monks, and you guys, you guys got back together and you played Cave Stump. Um, you guys were able to tour a little bit after that too, as well, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, we we uh, we after we got done with that, we uh, well, we were four years no heard nothing. When I came home and I played the songs for my parents, my mother was a piano player. She didn't like it, and everybody in my family says, "Hey, you used to be better than that. What are you doing that for?" And it basically, I just quit talking about it. The only time I ever talked about it at all, I was just sitting in a bar one time, and I met this guy, and he said he was in Germany. And I said, yeah, I was in Germany. He said he, he went to Hamburg. He was in Vietnam, and he went to Hamburg. And he saw this stupid group playing I Hate You, you know, stuff. And I said, well, I was in that group. And he says, I hate you. Oh, <laughs> but, man. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we got, we got along, and... Uh, but so for 40 years, there was no attention. And all of a sudden, these two guys show up at my house. I wrote the book. I just, because I was writing, my teacher told me to write the book. And I wrote it and published it. And these two guys showed up at my front door and asked if I was any of the monks. I said, yeah. And then he says, well, you know, and that started it all over again. And from there, we went to New York, Las Vegas, Benidorm, Spain, London, Zurich. Berlin, Krems, Austria, Frankfurt, and Germany, and each one of them. Um, and I'm writing a, a story now called "The Resurrection of the Monk," and it's just about ready for publication. It's about it's about that afterlife. Wow. Well, I mean, uh, I guess those would have been those were definitely the the first gigs that the monks ever played in the states, right? You guys, you guys kind of had trouble breaking into this scene because of uh, some of the. Some of the lyrical content, the anti-war stuff, which you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you guys didn't let that 
deter your uh, artistic agenda, but it is unfortunate that I, I feel like had that been able to get pressed here, the story might have been a little different because I think you'd have had a lot of sympathetic listeners as far as you know other people who were who had their problems with you know the war and everything else that was going on at the time. I think it would have. I'd have been interested to see how that would have shaped the, the the history of the monks had you guys been able to, you know, get a, a I, U.S. pressing going. I was surprised in New York there were all kinds of people come from all over the United States to see us, and I didn't know anybody knew us in the United States. And uh, same way in Vegas, the place was packed, and uh, it was quite amazing. We were all sort of amazed by it. And that everybody playing the songs, everybody singing along with you, and that kind of stuff. It was it was really it was fun. Well, I'm I'm glad that happened for you guys, man. Because you know, though you guys might not have the uh, um, you know the the full appreciation that I think you guys deserve. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad that 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 renaissance happened when it did just because um i mean you know you guys made some important music i think it it was ahead of its time to say the very least you know um and i mean they're just they're inspiring records for a lot of reasons and and you guys are you know uh, definitely to both myself and the rest of the comfort monk team here we're you know we just are really glad for the the music you guys put out into the world yeah, you get, you have a bird singing in the background. <laughs> I think so, man. We're we're actually recording on the on the porch just so that we uh, aren't too too close to each other, so we're not spreading too oh. many germs. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah. Well, thank you for the compliment. I I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, well, uh, it's speaking of that that book that you published, Black Monk Time. Uh, you know how how has your experience been? I know that you you're running that you know the uh, the publishing company Carson Street and uh, is this is this new release this new uh, the the work that you've been writing recently? Do you plan on releasing that through Carson Street as well? Yeah, I I I, I uh, publish other writers as well. Okay, I've got about sixteen books by different writers and. And a couple of them by me, you know. And so this is going to be a new one, and it'll be in there. I've got, uh, I, I wrote a book called uh, Beltrami's River, which is about Beltrami, the discovery of the northern Minnesota River, your Mississippi. Anyway, yeah, uh, this will be called The Resurrection of Black Monk Time, and it It'll take about a month before it gets printed, but it'll be out soon. Well, that being said, you know I've uh, I've been intending to to purchase a copy of Black Monk Time for a while now, so I will. Uh, I guess uh, maybe I'll. I don't know if there's a preferred route. What benefits Carson Street better? Whether I go through Carson Street or go through Amazon or something, but I definitely want to. Just, just come, go to Carson Street, but. Um, I'll talk to you later about getting a book. Awesome, man. I'll definitely reach out to you about that. Um, yeah, because I'll, I'll send you one. Well, that sounds great. Thank you so much, man. Um, that being said, uh, I guess, you know, I don't want to keep you too long, but I'll just touch on a few more things. Um, so now that, you know, you're kind of settled in in Reno, uh, are you still able to get a chance to play a good bit? Do you, do you at least, uh, I'm, I, are you gigging at all? Are you... Are you picking up 
your instruments at home, keeping those chops kind of? I never there? was interested in playing in Reno. <laughs> yeah, it's a different scene, I'm sure, for sure. It's all, you know, you're, you you got to compete with this, with the sound of the of the slot machines, you know. Right, yeah, it's not exactly the vibe I would imagine that you're you're looking for. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I never got too interested in working uh, here. So I, I, I've been recording some of my own stuff, and I put together a, a group with myself. I play most of the instruments uh, called uh, the Hydraulic Pigeons. And uh, I... I've I've got I've got about twenty or thirty unreleased songs. I'm kind of looking at those and seeing if any of them are worth releasing. Well, well, please keep us uh, in touch if you do do decide to release some of that because we would definitely like to check it out and let our listeners know about it. Um, do you have anything you've recorded post monks that is currently available, whether it be digitally or otherwise? Uh, I have. Um Minnesota, M-I-N-N-E-S-O-D-A, Minnesota, on Capitol Records, and I wrote some of the songs for that. And that was an eight-piece band. That was during the days of uh, Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears and that kind of stuff, and we played that kind of music. And they wanted uh, Bob Johnson, uh, who was a well-known producer, and Bob Dylan and all those people. He was, he was our producer, and he wanted me to move to Nashville to become a studio musician, but uh, we were too wild to do that. <laughs> that that makes sense, man. Um, yeah, I, I've heard of Minnesota, and uh, I definitely want to revisit some of that stuff. I'm glad to hear that it's you know available. Um, well, thanks so much for talking to us today, Eddie. Um, I'm looking forward to to that new publication you're putting out, uh, or the new the new. Uh, what was the title again for the for the new monks related? The resurrection, uh, resurrection of the monks, or, or Black Monk Time. Well, I can't wait to to check that out, man. And uh, like I said, you know, we're all just super appreciative of the art that you've you've put out into the world. I mean, it's 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 some great 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 music, man. And uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that you guys are aware now of how many people. Um, you know, have that appreciation for your art, and I, you know, I, though I wish you guys had been a little bit more, uh, you know, ha- had that appreciation, you know, while you were active a little more. Um, regardless, you guys created something that I think is super important, man, and uh, and we're we're glad to be able to speak with you today. Well, I'll tell Larry. Uh, you, you know, Gary, Dave, and Roger uh, are deceased. You know that. Yeah, unfortunately, man. I hate. I hate it. Yeah, so I'll tell Larry. I, I, I thought Larry would get in touch with you, but he's kind of shy, so I'll, I'll well, talk to him. Well, please do, man. Tell him from a, from a fellow keyboard nerd that, uh, that both, both his contributions and yours to those records are just really, really enjoyable. I mean, he, he, uh, he in particular uh, just has taken it to some musical landscapes that I think, uh, you know, the band wouldn't have been the same without either of you, you know, so please send our love his way, man, and uh, we'll send you a link to the episode when it's when it's out as well, so that maybe you can share that with Larry, too. Okay, thank you. All righty, man, well, good talking to you, Eddie. You have a good day. Okay, same to you, Diane. See ya. 
This has been a Comfort Monk production.